Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for Season 3, Episode 6 of The Mandalorian and the two-episode finale of The Bad Batch Season 2. Jason and I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, in previously on, it's Trailer Mageddon. It's the Blue Beetle trailer. It's the Cross the Spider-Verse trailer. It's the Secret Invasion trailer. And we're Woo! talking about all of them. In Airlock, it's the Bad Batch season. Oh. Season two, two episode finale. You wanted to hear our thoughts on it. We are giving them to you. And because it's Star Wars all day, every day at the moment, we're doing season three, episode six of The Mandalorian. And in the nerd out, Amando and or theory from Peter. Love that. Coming up previously on. Okay, first up in Trailer Mageddon, let's start with the Blue Beetle trailer uh, release date, August 18th, 2023. Do we count this as like the first official? I believe James Gunn said this was where... It begins it here. It begins. Even though Superman, which is, I believe, 2025, and we'll get the Batman 2 that year, is the official first James Gunn, he did say in that big announcement that post The Flash, this is the first kind of soft launch of the <laughs> of, of the DCU. And if that is it the case, great. it looks great. I'm excited for it. Like, it's it's got a real 90s, like, zero, early zeros vibe. He's got superpowers, and he's got to deal with them. It's very... I a, love it. It's a classic origin story, the likes of which we really have not seen in a while. No. And it looks really charming. There's a lot of humor to it. I love that moment where he gets the scarab, and it kind of yeah. jumps on his face, and his whole family's just, it's yeah. on your face! Oh, my God, get it off! And the kind of horror elements of the suit. Uh, yeah, it looks great. I love Sholo from, uh, you know, Cobra Kai. He's so yeah. charming. I love to see him in a role like this. I'm glad Warner Brothers was so excited to make it a theatrical instead of shuttering it like Batgirl. Uh, Harvey Guillen is in this movie and we don't know who he's playing. I'm hoping he's playing Ted Cord. That would be pretty good. Because we get to see Jaime outside the Cord building. And yeah, I just think this looks like a ton of fun. Um, and I love that he makes that big like anime sword at the end. It just, yeah, just all good stuff. It made me feel really good watching this movie and I wanted to see more. I think all, listen, if you have a power like the Green Lantern or the Blue Beetle, mm-hmm. which allows you to create matter from your thoughts, if you're not doing a sword every time, then what are we, what are we doing? Literally, especially, I feel like you hit on one of my biggest issues with Green Lantern, which is, Every single Green Lantern can just imagine like a fist or yeah. a gun. Why are we doing fists? Fists. Like Big this fists. is it. Like, please, <laughs> you have literally the power of your imagination. What am I, what am I at a carnival? Like, what is a, <laughs> what is a big fist? A giant gun? Like, yeah, you have gun. You don't need that. Come on, guys. So the fact that he's well, thinking. Well, they are cops. Actually, <laughs> the fact that he's thinking outside the box and he's coming yeah, up with the you. giant berserk style sword. I, I was a big fan. Just looks great. I, I can't wait to see it. And I'm very excited at the potential concept that this could be a kind of tone setter Mm -hmm. for what's to come. Same. 
same. And very excited to get into the Gunniverse. Um, and next up, Across the Spider-Verse, the sequel to uh, Into the Spider-Verse, Woo! release date June 2nd, 2023. I mean, I don't even need to see the trailer. I love the trailer. Of course, I don't even but need you to don't see even it need to see because it. Because I'm... I, Loved Into the Spider-Verse so much. Let's be real. Best Spider-Man movie ever made. I think so. I think One so. of the greatest comic book movies, ever. period, ever made. And this is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you've got every kind of... You've got Ghost Spider, a.k.a. Let's be real, Spider-Gwen. Sorry, Marvel. Yeah. Uh, Miles Morales, obviously. Miguel O'Hara, which is really interesting because that's, you know, uh, Spider-Man 2099, who we saw at the end of the movie, who we're now seeing in what seems to be more of an antagonistic role. Yeah. That we saw Peter B. Parker. We saw his baby, uh, Mayday Parker. We saw Spider-Woman, which is Issa Rae. There's Spot, who's going to be the villain, kind of your hilarious, like, unexpected, weird, multiversal villain. There's so many Spider-Man, uh, Pavatir Parker, like the in- Spider-Man uh, India. Shouts to uh, our good friend Cody Zig Ziglar, Spider-Punk. Spider-Punk. In the movie. Yeah, I mean, it looks so good. And I kind of love, we didn't really know much about the story before this because I feel like they knew that we didn't really need to. You yeah. want to go there, you want to see that experimental animation that basically changed the game. Puss in Boots. It was taken for a spider us. The bad guys, <laughs> taken for a spider us. Uh, Mitchell's versus a machine made by a lot of the same team, obviously taken for a spider us. But I love the idea that what seems to be happening in this movie and what's creating the conflict is the idea that Miles basically has to go through a family loss tragedy. You gotta, because if you don't lose your yeah. Uncle Ben, you never become Spider-Man. And I love this idea that Miles is going to go against that and it's going to cause this potential multiversal collapse. We also get a direct reference to the MCU here. They talk about what happened in, uh, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home. They reference the real Earth designation, not 616, you know, Earth 199999 or whatever it is. So yeah, I just, more multiversal fun and the animation looks amazing. I can't wait to see, you know, Zig and Justin Mason's Spider-Punk up there played by Daniel Kaluuya, London icon. So I'm happy about that. I mean, looks absolutely unbelievable. The kind of trailer you just want to immediately watch again. Actually, both of these, I think... I completely agree. They give you that real good, exciting feeling where you just want to know more. I want to see Mayday Parker. I want to see all the different Peter Parkers. I love, actually, another thing that blew me away in this trailer. When they introduced Ben Riley, very controversial Spider-Man figure, you know? Ben has been growing on me. Well, they've been doing ben, a lot of Ben work. They've been doing a lot of Ben work uh, lately. Ben, uh, an early clone of Spider-Man who's got his own thing going yeah, on, his and was own kind problems. Of a and... huge reveal was that yeah. he had been Spider-Man all yeah. along, and it was really controversial. He has this cool, like, very 90s jean jacket. <laughs> but when they show him in the movie, in the trailer... When you pause it, I mean, it looks like it's directly 2D out of a comic book. Mm -hmm. Just the most beautiful, interesting stuff. And so many incredible people worked on this. I can't wait to see it. It looks absolutely brilliant. And then finally, on Disney Plus, Secret Invasion, released date June 21st, first uh, episode of a six-episode series. Um, We didn't get too much more from this. No. But I'm very excited for it. It feels like a tonal reset, kind mm-hmm. of. Obviously, you know, Fury coming back in that kind of Winter Soldier conspiracy, spy Marvel vibe. Uh, this trailer dropped kind of concurrently with a big Anthony Bresnikan Vanity, Vanity Fair, Fair Exclusive photos, you know. That felt very much like, hey, guys, don't worry. <laughs> I know there's been a lot of... I know there's been a lot of bad stories about our our wares out there lately, but don't worry. These Marvel's, wares are shiny Marvel's again. Back. <laughs> yeah, it looks very 
Ultimates, very yeah. uh, early phases of Marvel where it's very grounded, spy version, secrecy. I, I love uh, Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury is one of the all-time great casting, so I love that. Yeah. I have to say, look, when I think of Secret Invasion, it's hard for me to separate it from the immensity of the comic books and yeah. what that meant, which was who can you trust? Who is really, which characters that you love have, have been, been scrolls the whole years, time? For years. And you've yeah. been supporting them. You've been buying those issues. You've been yeah. following their adventures and it's not them. I feel like currently what they're showing us is lacking that impact for me. But Feige has always said, this will be a more intimate, small-scale espionage thriller. So I'm interested in it. I love that Nick's not wearing the eye patch now. Mm -hmm. He's just, he's living it up. He's showing off the cool, you know, flirking scar. <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to be great. I'm seeing a lot of Kobe Smulders, so I'm still sticking by the fact that I truly believe you are correct and that she will be the scroll that we all know. I will say another thing that I'm hoping to see them subvert here. It does look like we're getting the old classic there's a radical and it's played by a black actor and they're, yeah, they've right. got really believable good goals, but they're going to blow some people yeah. up so you can't support them. So I'm hoping we get something a little bit different with the scrolls, but it'll be interesting. Revealed in that Vanity Fair article that Amelia Clark is playing Talos's daughter yeah. and not, you know, Abigail Brand, which I think a lot of people thought. Though, as somebody in our Discord pointed out, she could be Abigail Brand. She could be her anyway. She, she yeah. could be her anyway. Right? And also she could be a scroll in the guise of Adam right, right. You know, so who knows? But yeah, very interesting. I I think there is a an immense amount of pressure on this project. Yeah. And I feel like they're behaving in quite a sensible way that has learned from things like, say, Agreed. Multiverse of Madness, which I loved. But these movies where they made, every, um, Anne and the Wasp, where they made people feel like it was going to be a groundbreaking, earth-shattering event. Yeah. And it didn't necessarily live up to that in, in the way that people expected. I think going low-key with the tone of this and just saying this is just going to be a, a, a mm -hmm. spy adventure, I think it's smart and I think it will eventually pay off. I hope that this hits in a more impactful way than uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier did for me, which is like one of my least favorite Marvel shows. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, you know, you have Sam at the center is like, you just know it's going to be a good time. Did anything here change your thoughts about who may or may not be a scroll? I, my, my biggest thought coming out of this was actually that they might not do that at all. I think that they showed I, the... I, I worryingly felt the same yeah. way. The Kingsley Benadir character, who's going to be this kind of scroll rebel leader, it seemed like they were almost doing a Mr. Smith thing with yeah. him, where there were multiple versions of him. He was shape-shifting into the same guy. So I don't know if they are going to do the secret I invasion classic iteration, and instead we're going to see the scrolls use their shape-shifting stuff in a different way. I think what we are going to see in Secret Invasion is the birth of the Super Scroll. Yes! Okay, let's talk about that. I think all the lab stuff that we're seeing is the scrolls, the, the extremist sect of the scrolls who are uh, invading, who are doing the invasion and taking over uh, various, uh, for various powerful people in Earth's government. I think that they saw the superheroes of Earth and they said, okay, we got to figure that out. Yeah. We have to, like, shape-shifting is cool, but why don't we have, like, why can't we fly? Why can't I punch somebody's mm -hmm. Um And I think that they are trying to create powers. And I think we're going to see, that's who, that's who uh, uh, Gravik, Kingsley Benadir is going to be, is the first Super I Scroll. think that's right. Now, that seems kind of strange because the Super Scrolls are so deeply connected to the Fantastic Four yeah. in the comics. But I will say... 
we get a moment with Kingsley Benedict's character Gravik where his arms go towards, and it's almost, it looks, I felt like it looked quite Reed Richardsy, but as I've seen lots of smart people point out, it looks a lot like Groot's powers, yeah. which is kind of this interesting Rudy, idea, yeah, like, like the, the tendrils yeah. going out. So I do wonder if maybe this could be connected to Power Broker, if as some people like, kind of suggested Agent 13 was actually a scroll yeah. in disguise. Maybe the scrolls have been collecting people's powers or the DNA of people who have powers and trying to create this, you know, super scroll in a new way. Kang also does exist now. Yep. That's a direct lineage yep. to the Fantastic Four. So I think you're right. I think that the super scroll may be the kind of super science-y element in this rather grounded space. I'm sad. I, I want someone big to be a scroll. Me too! <laughs> Let's be real. Let's be real. There's six episodes. Yeah, yeah. This is the MCU. That I there could be a shocking surprise if we just look at the cast, right? So you got Everett K. Ross. Definitely could be a scroll. I mean, he's a fe- could, like he's a CIA absolutely guy, could so, be a scroll. But who? It's not that huge impact. Yeah. I wonder if we look at who's actually in this. We know that Rhodey is going to be in this movie. <laughs> that would be, I think, the only person that they could have that gut punch, right? impact but that would also probably take away from whatever he's trying to do with armor wars which i assume they will try to tie into this kree skull war the way things are going Rody actually died after the airport fight in germany see <laughs> they, i'm they telling you now it. that's the kind of shit where people would be losing their mind but you know there is throughout scroll history and the way that scroll shapeshifts there are people who spend time among humans and become allied with them and we've kind of already got that a little bit with Talos so that wasn't in a shape-shifting form but I think that looking at the cast it really either is going to be a big surprise and a character that we're not expecting I'm still going for Hawkeye I truly believe that makes the most sense that'd be so good (laughs) but I think if we're looking at the people who play a major role in this Rhodey seems like a high contender and you're right you know how did he come back to life after that? Like, seems he hit pretty suspicious. Hard. He hit pretty seems hard pretty as as suspicious. I mean, I suppose the other thing now, don't get too excited because I definitely have had a tendency in the past to come up with cool ideas that they would never do and then people yeah. be upset that they don't do them. But, you know, uh, Tony actually survived the snap and comes back in <laughs> this form and then he's actually a scroll, and you have that be a large part of Armor for Wars is Rhodey trying to convince people it's not really Tony. That would be very, very cool and I think would kind of blow people away. That would be freaking amazing. All right, up next, The Bad Batch and The Mandalorian. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips, and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Stepping out of the airlock and into the two-part finale of season two of The Bad Batch, now streaming on Disney+. And what a way to end a, a season. Whew. 
uh, I, you know, there's a lot of Clone Wars vibe to obviously it's the same kind of the same time period for the Bad Batch. But I'm spot, I'm talking about like the number of episodes and the kind of up and down nature of it. But like a really strong closing to this season that started very strong. Also, episode 15, The Summit. Uh, and episode 16, Plan 99, it's, uh, or, you know, 66 upside <laughs> Backwards. down. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts, but in, and so in lieu of a recap, it basically all uh, revolves around an attempt to uh, locate Crosshair and to rescue the clones uh, who are being held by Dr. Hemlock, uh, who's doing something that we don't know. And um, th- all of that results in the unfortunate death of... Uh, our good friend Tech. Sacrifice. I think truly sad sacrifice. We will always have the Tech turn. <laughs> <laughs> that will live forever. We can talk about whether he's he's really dead. But I have a bunch of thoughts. And first first among them, we got to let Saw Gerrera cook, you guys. Oh, my gosh. Every time we've been saying this, this man is always right. Saw right is always right. Every single time... I feel like that is either going to pay off at some point or this is just one of the few places where this part of Star Wars storytelling fails because he is not wrong. He is right every time. In this moment, he is talking about stopping the creation of the Death Star. Correct. Right. So so the Bad Batch is, you know, they're on the ground. They've invaded this Imperial facility. There's this huge fucking firefight and they happen to run into Saw Gerrera, who's also there and is like hey Wiley you guys are here uh, uh, my I, what I'm here to do is blow up all this the Imperial leadership that's all here we got Grand Moff Tarkin is here we got Orson Krennic here we got Dr. Hemlock here we got a lot of movers and shakers here and I'm gonna blow up this whole facility and then uh, you know the Bad Batch is like well that's short-sighted because you can actually you know there's a lot of clones here and we're trying to rescue the clones. And actually, if you do that, then, you know, all this short-sighted violence will pay off in the medium and long term because you'll be able to draw more support to you to do whatever it is you're doing. There isn't even a rebellion yet. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, guys. I get it, Bad Batch. You want to save your your brothers? I love the clones. I, I would also like clones. to save the clones. But I you don't want s- any clones to die. If if they had let Saw Gerrera do his thing here, Alderaan would still exist. It, it would have at least been de- like the destruction would have been delayed. I at think least, we could have said. I think we could say that. Listen, I've I've seen other places say, well, they just would have replaced Tarkin and and Krennic. Sure, but with like Krennic was an idiot, and so maybe like no, they would have got a better think person. About it. But but Grandma Tarkin was like really good at his job. I, I think it would have like even if they would have been replaced, who fucking cares? Let's think about it. Orson Krennic. He is the one who was keeping tabs on Jin Erso's dad, who was the one they actually yeah. needed to build the Death Star. Like, you know, we get these big references here to the original trilogy. You get this Project Stardust, which we know is them talking about the creation of the Death Star. We get this huge kind of monumental, it's been revealing itself over time, but there's two big things that we learn here. One is that this has really been a season about how the stormtroopers came yes, to replace the, the clone of, the troopers, rise of the stormtroopers which is huge and another it doing exactly what we love about these animated series which is expanding on moments that we're not 100% aware of every nuance that yeah. happened in canon and of course the proto cloning yeah. that we know will end up going towards the sequel Dr. trilogy Hemlock, would not be surprised if uh 
if Gideon is baby Gideon, baby Gideon, young Gideon, uh, got to start working for Dr. Hemlock in some form or fashion here. Yeah, it's very and, interesting stuff, but I definitely was also overwhelmed by the Saul was right. Come on, again, guys. every time. I get it. I, I I really do get it. But it, and yes, it's you know there there'd be some. Unfortunately, people would die in this. But like, what are we doing? Are we trying to like score? to like bowl a perfect game against the empire or do you actually want to fight? <laughs> because a lot of the big names are here. Let Saw do his fucking thing. If I'm he sorry wants to do the dirty work, if he wants to do the dirty work. Yeah. Let's be real. That's I think is one of the funniest conundrums of these stories, which we love so much yeah. and they add all this great context. When you spend more time with these characters and you have more nuance to the stories, it suddenly becomes a lot more complex than, well, you just blow up the Death Star because you blow up the Death Star, ends the Empire, great, well done. But then you get those conversations of, well, what about all the people who worked on the Death Star yeah. who weren't actually, you know, there by choice or were who were Imperial grunts who were groomed? It's that same thing. But in this moment, I do feel like more good than harm would have been I, done I mean, if they let Saw do this. Listen, if, if you go by Cody's philosophy, Cody would have said at the Battle of Yavin, well, we have to evacuate all the people that are on the Death Star that maybe don't want to do this. You know, they're working, it's just a job or there might be some clones on there. Can't we evacuate the facility? Yeah, I get it. Sure. But... Do you think <laughs> this is like Dave Filoni punishing us for all those conversations we had about the Death Star? He's like, you are Cody now. Like, I mean, this is what you've all been doing this whole time. I think Cody is just... I think Cody... I understand Cody's rationale here and I and I get it. And nobody really knows, even though they're all talking about the Death Star. Nobody really knows what they're working Yeah, no one on. knows what Project Stardust is. Yeah, yeah, the Death yeah. Star doesn't exist in any way that they understand. So they couldn't have known. Yeah. And so I based on the information they have, they made an absolutely reasonable call to be like, hey, saw don't. That said, <laughs> I just want to acknowledge once again, Saw was right. He's he right, right again. He was absolutely right. He was right again. He was right again, and his main problem is that he was right way before anybody else could even guess what the you know what the what was going on. Yeah, and so therefore he seems like a radical when in reality he's just like eighteen years earlier. Exactly. If it you is. if you compare the actions that Saw takes that people think are so violent and radical. They are absolutely equivalent to the things that Luke does. You know, it's like it, it, you want to blow. Do you do you want like a two million people in the Death Star to die, or do you want to kill like the, the you know five hundred people that are in this facility right now and stop it from ever happening? It's like a trade off. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I agree with you. That was a big takeaway I had from this, especially because that's a drum we've been beating for a long time. <laughs> yeah, like Saw. So, so, right. Also, can I just say that the last time we saw Saw and we were talking about how he was right, he was actually the one arguing about protecting his people. Yeah. So this is not some one-sided thing where he just no. wants to kill people. He is a complex, nuanced man, just like everyone else. But of course, this is the clone show. Yeah, yeah. So they're on a mission to save the clones. And I love that because I do want to save as many clones as possible. And I think that the overall conversation about that has always been inherent with the clones identity, mm -hmm. you know, a, a personal identity. What does it mean to be an individual when you have been created from the DNA of one person and you look just like all these others? I think that is really fascinating. The Bad Batch within that idea is really interesting in and of itself because they are the ones, you know, uh, Tex says that thing right before he dies, you know, when have we ever followed orders, mm -hmm. unlike the rest of the clones, you know. Um, and I think that is 
that idea, individualism within like a a larger kind of monolithic group is really interesting. And I, and I love exploring that here. Um, Tech. Is he dead? I mean, I feel like the answer is no, uh, just because of what we've seen in the past with the way that they treat like a clone who dies or goes missing and Mm -hmm. they have that big surprising comeback. So my hope would be no, but it had such a big impact on Omega I think this one might stick. I think it might stick too. And I think you don't do the slow-mo fall. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a classic. Unless you're going to mean it. Yeah. You can't like rewind the slow-mo fall. That yeah. has a, it has a context and an impact. And I agree with you. Omega, man, it really, it really hit Omega. Like that was heartbreaking actually. Her wanting to go back. They can't go back. You obviously can't go back. And also I know? think that notion of sacrifice, like, no, no, we never leave anyone behind and it's actually that was somebody's choice to do that so we could move forward. So are you going to take advantage of that or are you going to stay behind and, you know, trying to save somebody who in the end chose not to be saved? I think as well, the thing that you mentioned about individualism and this kind of idea of finding yourself in this clone army, which has obviously been, even since the Clone Wars stuff, yeah. is like so key to the most impactful stuff. We learned that that is at the heart of why the clone troopers end up becoming irrelevant yep. to the, for what the Empire needs them and why the stormtroopers come through because they realize, oh, actually, you can't just clone people and expect them to all behave exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. There's actually this breakout of human spirit, basically, people who will go against the grain and it's not just a bad batch. You know, there are other clones who have done that. So I thought that was really interesting and obviously kind of what we all thought because with the stormtroopers, you're essentially trying to create an army of people who would never question yeah. you. But I thought it was nice to kind of see that acknowledged here. And it goes along really well with the greater journey that they've been on. Um, your thoughts on the strands that are obviously leading towards, uh, you know, the Palpatine cloning project. Project Project New Palpatine. Well, I will say we were right because I do yeah. think it is no coincidence that in The Mandalorian and in this, we now have what are essentially it- threads here to, let's say, expand on rather than fix, no matter what our feelings are about Rise of Skywalker. Right. It does feel like Filoni is once again using this as a space to kind of embroider more detail right. and more context. context. Yeah. Because as we know, even Oscar Isaac was tired when he said it. Somehow Palpatine returned. Here's the somehow. It feels like we're getting it here. We're definitely getting it in The Mandalorian. I like that idea that maybe there's some connection to Gideon, even a Gideon mentor yeah. who worked for Hemlock or something. That seems like where we're going. I'm very interested to know how that all comes together because this is very different to when the Clone Wars was on air and they were rebuilding. That was not a time when we had Star Wars live action TV. It was not a time when there was so much cohesion between these different branches of Lucasfilm. I want to know if we are really going to see these threads from the Bad Batch come into live action Star Wars TV soon if we're going to start to see a much more fluid and quicker crossover because we've gotten it to a point but it feels like this could be leading to something that would end together. You know what's really interesting is is, uh, one of the kind of driving themes of the Clone Wars is the Jedi missed it. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. missed the rise of Palpatine. He's right there. He's like two and a half blocks over from the Jedi Temple. He's literally chilling with people that you know. They can't, you know, Yoda can't feel his presence. They have multiple meet face-to-face meetings with the guy. And they just think he's just some chilling, just some guy chilling. And it really feels like, ah, man, they were so close and they just missed it. And now with the Bad Batch, uh, you know, with the Mandalorian, you've got this 
the new kind of thing that everybody missed is Palpatine's coming back. The cloning mm-hmm. drive to recreate more Palpatine so Palpatine can, uh, you know, be our villain in perpetuity. And it's really interesting now to see this kind of feeling developing again where, I mean, Captain Teva is really the only one who's like, I think there's something going on with cloning, you guys, and uh, some kind of issue around the Outer Rim, Rim and Navarro. Like, what's going on? It It feels, again... Although much less pointed, but still feels again like, hey, there's something going on with cloning. Who is gonna catch on? Yeah, and it's anyone? In, it's interesting to see that in a more of a real time. Yeah. Rather than something that's retroactively added. You know, like we saw this sequel trilogy reveal that Palpatine came back, and now just a few years later, we're starting to see, oh, they missed it again. Yeah. Like this wasn't some super secretive out of rim, nobody knew about it situation this was going on under their noses while the original palpatine was still alive <laughs> um the animation style is incredible this is yeah. maybe this is the action in this was unbelievable there's some really great like one shots mm-hmm. where uh in particular where the bad batch is like fighting through the facility and they like punch this stormtrooper multiple times and then the camera like flips so you can follow them running down the hall Feels freaking great. And by the way, I think this is the best the stormtroopers have ever done mm-hmm. in a fight. They look good. <laughs> they look. They like, did well. Yeah, this is not your, you know, four generations down stormtrooper <laughs> missing everything with yeah. a blaster. Also, I I feel you. I really like. I feel like there's a great anime influence on this in the yeah. way that they're using cameras as if they're shooting live action, but yeah. you're doing animation. And I love to see when Clone Wars came out there was just so much hate for that art style. And it didn't help that the, they did that short Clone Wars with Gendy, who's obviously such an iconic so. animator. I think still, oh, yes, right, that yeah, one. Yeah, that yeah, one yeah. first. And so yeah. that that sets this tone. And then you go to this full CG and people have that struggle to connect with it. And then Rebels, you have that different style. It's really nice to see the Bad Batch keep the spirit of Clone Wars alive, but just look so fucking good. Like, this has Disney Plus money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it feels like anyone can sit down and appreciate this as a prestige TV show, even though it's animation, which is a really hard bridge to cross. And I feel like this is a really important show to watch if you love Star Wars. It feels vital. I agree. Um, and it's just, it just looks great. It yeah. looks really great. Um, the your thoughts on the uh, Omega meeting. Adult Omega. Shocking and then, twist. And where were they? I know. It was very cool. It looked... I see pyramids and I was like, is that Yavin? I, I don't know. But like that is... Obviously feels pretty huge. And the idea that they were... That we always knew that there might be more Omegas mm-hmm. out there. But the fact that there definitely is one feels really huge. Yeah, we always we always knew that Omega was basically like the next kind of generation of clone. This enhanced kind of clone, potentially people wondering if she was force sensitive. I was very interested to wonder that, yeah, basically I was wondering that exact same thing where the Kimonian stuff has been demolished. So where are they? Where is this intense black pyramid with a kind of inner jungle with another pyramid kind of floating on top of it almost. It looks so cool. And I really think 
it seems to me that essentially there's probably going to be like a female version of the Bad Batch that would come out of these Omega, that could come out of these Omega clones that Omega would lead. That's how it feels to me at the end. Uh, really strong ending to the season once again. Shots to my guy Saw Guerrero. You saw it. No, you won't get the respect you deserve, but you saw it. Up next, The Mandalorian. Chapter One Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid Century Circle. Titus. Hmm? You're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. The Mandalorian, season three, titled Chapter 22, Guns for Hire, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard in the her icon. bag. The icon. She's back again, just... In her bag. When will she get the Star Wars movie she deserves? We've all been asking for it for so long. All the way in her bag, written by Jon Favreau. We open in space an Imperial ship uh, crewed by Mandalorian mercenaries waylays a Quarren ship. Uh, The Mandalorian captain, Axe Woves, we've met him before, uh, has been hired by some noble Mon Calamari family to retrieve their love-struck prince, son, uh, apparently, the, the Quarren and the Mon Calamari, they share the planet, um, and they're uneasy neighbors, and apparently the son who is in love with the uh, Quarren captain of this Quarren ship uh, has caused some sort of a scandal, and so the Mandalorians have to separate them and bring the son back to his family. The Mandalorians agree with the Quarren captain. This is very dishonorable and distasteful business, but... As a uh, wise man once said, that's what the money is for. And then once the job <laughs> is done, they bring, they uh, park their fleet back home on Plazier 15 in the Outer Rim. We go to our friends Bo Din and the baby. They are heading to Plazier 15 themselves because they need to, you know, they're the new ambassadors for the uh, rebuilding Mandalore project. Yeah, and they're trying to find Bo's old crew, you know, who abandoned her and became mercenaries after she lost the Darksaber. So this is a a quest that makes a lot of sense and puts them on an interesting side quest, which I personally loved yes. and was not expecting. But yeah, their their intention is to find more Mandalorians. That's right. So uh, they arrive on the planet and there's some like delightful 16-bit fanfare music. Uh, an announcement about, uh, you know, what uh, Plazier 15 is, and a voice welcomes them, you know, to uh, Plazier 15, the only direct democracy in the Outer Rim. Grogu seems to really love the music. <laughs> um, they pass some Imperial droids on the way yes, to uh, very a train. notable for what will come to pass. And uh, on the train, you know, they're, they're heading in, 
um, they're kind of being interviewed by the security services of Plaza 15 on the way in. Bo is like, hey, we want to speak to the man. We're here to see the man, my Mandalorian brethren. Can we can we speak to them? And uh, the voice is like, no dice, because according to the Coruscant Accords, uh, you know, no uh, outsider can have like direct contact with military assets in peacekeeping zones, whatever that means. It's yeah, there's like, lots of bureaucracy here. Yeah, if you yeah. love bureaucratic Star Wars, you will be happy because there is some rules that are being laid down by the New Republic. And um, the voice then is like, can we get your chain code so we can verify who you are? They do. And then uh, all of a sudden this voice is like, hey, guess what? Uh, uh, Bo-Katan Kreese and Din Djarin, your uh, presence is requested uh, at a certain place. They go to the place and it's a feast. There's a feast going on. And this is a star-studded episode of The Mandalorian, you guys. How they kept these cameos quiet kind of blows my mind. I know that this is just people who probably wanted to work with Bryce and who obviously also wanted to be in a Star Wars because who doesn't? But it's really great because you get this feast and you first of all have this hilarious moment where you see one of the aliens, you know, who Grogu was trying to eat the eggs, yeah. the baby eggs, and that was really shocking everyone. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's one of those aliens. And then at the top of the table, it's like, oh, it's Lizzo and Jack Black. <laughs> um, so, obviously, that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> just just casual. Yeah, and so uh, they're they're playing the Duchess, who is uh, part of this ruling family that has ruled Plazier 15 for apparently Since all of it its, was ever settled. Yeah, all, all of its modern history. And Captain Bombardier. A perfect name for a character played by Jack Black. Yeah, the uh, the elected rulers. Uh, and, you know, they, they sit down. Uh, Jack Black, uh, excuse me, Captain Bombardier, <laughs> offers them some drinks, which are apparently secreted by some really gross, like, uh, sack-looking globular alien yeah. in, a, in a jar. This is classic interesting Star Wars world building because we really get the sense here of that opulent, disconnected wealth that so often exists in the world of Star Wars because of people's connections to war or, as we'll find out, the imperial kind of regime. And uh, Captain Bobadier addresses them. He's like, okay, let's address the Bantha in the room. (laughs) Ding dong! I was once a facilities planner officer during the war. Uh, for the Empire. And thanks to the new Republic Amnesty program, I was able to help rebuild the Plazier 15. And then uh, the Duchess echoes that, saying, you know, Plazier 15 really got just really got wrecked during the war and suffered under Imperial rule. And uh, my husband, Captain Bombardier, has really, really done a great job in helping us rebuild uh, and using his skills as an acquisitions officer for the Empire. Which, hey... They were great at acquiring stuff. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> that's what colonialism yeah. does. Good, good at stealing stuff from uh, other people. And certainly, they seem to be living it up now. So everything is going great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they fell in love. Isn't that great? Well, what magical and, story? You know what? I, 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 I hate. I, I obviously, I, whenever I see former Imperials thriving, I take, I do a double take. But this is for love, and everybody seems happy. So on the can, planet, yeah, I yeah, actually who can, who can argue? I did expect to see some kind of like secret darker side of the planet, kind of like what we saw in the Last Jedi. But you don't really get that here. It this seems is, gr- it's going this great. This is a, allegedly these people were 
elected democratically. People seem happy. Everyone's thriving, eating some food. There's some issues with droids that we'll get into. We'll get into, into that. <laughs> it's like Neiman Marcus the planet. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, everything yeah, yeah. Is, is luxurious. Nobody works. Everybody's hanging out, having Just brunch. Chilling. And buying stuff. It's shopping all the time. All it the time. pretty great. Yeah, it's it's uh, tourism, capitalism, but just all day, every day. And nobody works, which seems I great. It. I would I, love to see it. I'll just say this. In the, you know, I think the amnesty program is not only well-meaning, but good. And, and, a, and if it's imperfect, as we've seen in other episodes of The Mandalorian, then it's imperfect for a good cause. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably a net positive. It remains to be seen yeah. how things go with but the cloning program. The, the- idea is, I, I would say I agree with you, net positive because it is worth giving people that second chance who are yeah. forced into those roles. And that said, and we don't know what Captain Bombardier was up to in his previous life as an acquisitions officer for the Empire. I feel like Everybody's always playing down what they did in the exactly, Empire. and not no just one's that. ever telling you this what they. Man, I was an acquisitions officer. Oh, really? Where were you stationed? Uh, the Death Star. Like, where were? Also, yeah, where not were you even working? just that, but like, where? Which planets were you ravaging? Yeah, like, whose right. family wealth are you now sitting yeah. on? Like, playing space croquet and eating delicious feasts. It seems unethical. I also think there is an interesting statement being made here when we look at how somebody like Bombardier is being treated in this amnesty program compared to the kind of low-level grunts that we saw who are also living in these halfway houses. And we saw in that same episode of The Mandalorian where we kind of explored where Pershing was at, that there are these wealthy kind of scions who just don't care whether it's the Empire, the New Republic, whoever, as long as they can stay fat and enjoy the things that they enjoy. And Bombardier definitely seems to be more... Lean in that way. Although certainly seems like a great guy. I'm yeah, not I mean, gonna... it looks like it would be yeah. a lot of fun to be at this feast. Love his curly mustache. And listen. He's it... married to Lizzo, so obviously doing something right. Right. And listen, during the Imperial days, it's like if you wanted to work, you kind of had to be in league with the Empire. So yeah. I get I get it. Anyway, <laughs> the Duchess then uh, offers Grogu some space sardines, and Grogu's like, yes. Leaps does the into flip. Her yeah, does the flip right into her arms. He's Din just never, like, fl- no, never not flipping now. Yeah, Din is like, I, I don't know, Grogu. He's weird around like strangers. Stra- and then all of a sudden, Grogu's like, well, I like anybody who's got- Give me some food. Yeah, delicious <laughs> seafood. Uh, we learn that this the whole direct democracy thing, which is basically everybody votes for- the person that they want to rule. There's no voting for a representative mm-hmm. who then is going to cast a vote for whoever is going to rule. You do, you vote directly for the person you want. And so uh, this whole direct democracy thing is is pretty new and that even though the Duchess and her family have ruled for all the planet's history, they are now the duly elected leaders. One, one wonders if, if you are the ruling family for generations, what chance any other candidate If you're already like monarchs, it seems unlikely. Again, everybody seems happy. They're trying their best. (laughs) Everybody seems happy. Uh, We also learn that um, Bombardier's imperial past means that he can't be uh, in command of any military force and therefore Plazier 15 can't can't have have any military. Can't have a military. So they outsource their military force Thus, the Mandalorians. That's why they are here. They are essentially mercenaries here on the planet. It, to me, that feels like a very 
A loophole. Oh, yeah, but an obvious loophole that the yeah. New Republic could st- should stop because it's like you can't have a nationalist military that is run by people of your country. Agreed. I honestly, militaries always lead to bad stuff. I get that, especially with the Imperial Connection. But just hiring random mercenaries who you well, pay to commit war crimes, that well, doesn't seem much I better. Guess, I, it seems like the way it works is... They hired them to just be security guards. Yeah, they they protecting and that and they can't give them any orders beyond that. It's yeah. kind of just like, hey, protect the planet and whatever else you guys are doing. I don't want to know, like, because you know they're out here doing side quests mm-hmm. for Mon Calamari, <laughs> uh, you know, Teenage noble family love. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Bo is like, well, I'd like to meet with these Mandalorians. I have a, I have to talk with them about some very urgent business and the royal couple's like that's a great idea but we have some things that we'd like you to take care of uh, uh first we're having issues with our droid workforce they say uh, we have a lot of a lot of droids here uh, including separatist battle droids former separatist battle droids that have been reconditioned for you know regular blue collar work uh, and they're uh, they're acting up. Uh, they're either refusing to work or deleting tasks. And it all seemed at first to be kind of innocent, but now there's been some some violence involved, some assaults. People have been injured, and it's becoming more serious. Uh, can Bo and Din look into it? Uh, and D- Bo is like the Mandalorians. They can just take care of that. Yeah, like, no you problem. can give them an order. You can tell them that. Why would we have to do it? Um, but you know, again, the the, the charter of Plazier 15 stipulates that no kind of armed forces can enter the city. But there's another loophole because of the the multicultural um, uh, uh, society that they are building here uh, respects the um, the cultures of the people that are there, which is a wonderful thing. Bo and Din can therefore come armed into the city because their weaponry, their armor is intrinsic to their culture and therefore it's fine. So as you can see, this was a very cynical invitation. They they knew that this would be useful to them. Yes. And Bombardier Jack Black sells it very well. It's such a great coincidence. But also, if you want to speak to the Mandalorians, go sort out our droid problem. And they offer actually a very, very juicy nugget in return. The deal that they offer is... Um, in return for helping that Plazier 15 out with their droid problem, Plazier 15 would formally recognize the new Mandalore, the, the currently repopulating Mandalore, as a sovereign system, and then would lobby the New Republic to do the same. This is That's actually like a huge deal. That's a huge deal. Let me ask you a question about this then. So this basically establishes that no question this rumors and rumblings of them repopulating Mandalore is out in the world. Right. Because that's not just a lucky guess. That's right. Like, they absolutely come to this with a knowledge that this is something that's going on, which probably means other people are going to hear about it yeah. too. And we can assume as we get into these last two episodes of the season, I think that that will be good because lots of Mandalorians will probably come to Mandalore, but it will also be bad because people will know where to find the Mandalorians and Din and Bo if if they need to. Um, Bo thinks that this diplomatic deal is really, really great. And Din is just like, I just want to kill droids. I fucking hate droids. I hate droids. droids. I want to kill them. I like one droid. That's it. And all he's the, dead. And he's dead. And and all the rest of them can go to hell. So they go to see um, the uh, security commissioner. Uh, he's basically the head of all their defense infrastructure. And he 
it's a star-studded episode. He is played by Christopher Lloyd, the legendary <laughs> Chris Lloyd. You really don't think after they do like Lizzo and Jack Black, yeah. which just feels very contemporary and very. You don't really expect to then just see like Doc Brown, <laughs> Uncle Fester. <laughs> You're one of the most influential character actors and comedians of our generation, especially if you love the kind of yeah. stuff we love. And they just casually have him there, just being in charge of some droids. <laughs> 1985! Um, so then uh, the commissioner plays them some of the security tapes of the various incidents, and some of them are comical. Yeah, ruining a shopping trip. Yeah, you know, ruined throwing some trip. groceries around. Yeah, and then a, a crashed car, and then a Benny Hanna chef goes nuts. <laughs> that was my favorite one. One, like, who was thinking of putting some general grievous <laughs> style guy in charge of doing. You know, Benihana-esque yeah. cooking. And my favorite part is when he turns, he is wheeled in those you cleavers. You screams. <laughs> and the cleavers are going. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Bo asks an important question, which is like, why don't you just turn them off? Just turn them off. Well, here's why. Here on, uh, on Neiman Marcus, planet Neiman Marcus, uh, the neoliberal jewel of the Outer Rim, um, all of our citizens here on Plaza Year 15 live a fucking life of consumerist leisure. They don't lift a finger. The droids do everything. Seems like a problem. Just saying, look, ah, we I can feel do, like I mean, there are some moral and ethical issues yeah. here. We can get into it because there, <laughs> there are some obvious issues that become that come to the surface, you know, or at least the subtextual service mm-hmm. in this episode. And, you know, essentially the commissioner is like, listen, people don't want to work anymore. <laughs> And Honestly, if, fair. And if, I do right, relate. And to if that. you turn the droids off, they're gonna have to go to work. They're gonna have to work as Benihana chefs. They're gonna have to <laughs> work as drivers. They're gonna have to do shopping. They're gonna have to carry people's. They're gonna have to space Grubhub. Yeah, they're gonna have to carry the the fucking Captain Bombardier's like groceries to his house, and they're not gonna want to do that in society. We collapse, and they're like, okay, Bowen did are like. Fine. And it's a very big red button that he claims will turn them all <laughs> this off. Is a big... Extremely <laughs> ominous button. I feel like that would be a more sensible way to do that and we will find out later the button is ominous yeah so uh bowen didn't go and see the the other people that do manual labor skilled labor here in um, plaza 15 and it's the ugnaughts the mechanics who basically keep everything running keep all the droids running and do a bunch of the other kind of maintenance work around here didn't know how to talk to them and he manages to get some information out of them over drinks uh, the Ugnaughts insist the droids are not malfunctioning because the Ugnaughts are very particular about their work. And to say that is like an insult. It's an insult because you're saying Ugnaught work is not good because why else would these droids be yeah. malfunctioning? And we get a great moment here where Bo, as the princess, she doesn't know how to talk to normal people. She right. doesn't know how to talk to Ugnaughts who value their skilled Captain labor. Bombardier and the Duchess, yeah, she she's very at home. fine. She's, they're calling her princess. <laughs> yes, you know. She's like, oh, I just, wow, this is great. But we actually get to see Din showcasing his talent with people, showing how worldly he is. The common showing touch. The common touch. He's a, a man of the people, That's like right. Logan Roy, you know, standing on those pieces of paper. That's right. And so he uh, managed to get some information out of them. Uh, and that information is the location of uh, the droids that have malfunctioned in the past. Mm-hmm. So uh, detectives Kreese and Jaren <laughs> head to a spaceport loading dock. This is where they've been sent. And the manager droid says, hey, uh, 
How are you? Don't worry, all our certifications are up to date and all these Roger, droids Roger. are above, above board. Roger, Roger. No need for the police here. You can be on your way. Can I see your warrant? And uh, uh, Din Djarin then goes into his good cop, bad cop, which is all bad cop. Only routine, bad cop. And says, we don't need no stinking warrants. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just... Kick. Physically assault these hardworking droids. I'm going to just kick every single droid until one gets stressed. Yeah. And Terrible so, behavior. It's awful behavior. Awful behavior. So then he kicks a droid and one droid's like, hey, Please and defends do itself and then realizes it's been outed as one of these droids that now can think on its own, runs away. And Bo the, just tries to shoot it. Bo and Din chase it down and shoot it in the back, just like real cops. They yep. kill, very they realistic, this, actually. They shoot this horrific droid in the back. He was just doing his job, just carrying a cardboard box. Uh, and Din's there, sh- waving a hand in front of him, uh, kicking him. Bad behavior, not a fan. Din, not a fan do of better, this. Din but this is the way things work on Plaza 15, and we got to keep this society going. And I, and I get it. Bo finds a spark pad on the droids carcass and it leads them to a droid bar the resistor and <laughs> it's a lively place you know lots of happy droids having enjoying some uh, r&r and all of that ground still halt as soon as uh, bo and din walk in they I got big snitch energy like yeah. you know that is a problem when they walk in i don't think they get many of our kind here din says no shit <laughs> now the yeah, bar- i wonder why yeah the bartender is is very standoffish until uh, din turns on the charm by saying, I'm going to dissect your fucking brain. <laughs> yeah, and pulls out a, a, like an, a little electronic like taser. Like a cattle like gonna, prod. Yeah, like he's, he's going like, to tase gonna him. cattle prod you, and then I'm going to cut your head off. And, and he's like, I'm I'll just take your it. memory card out and like wow. melt it so I can find out your secrets. He's This man has problems. He needs to go to like armor therapy. Go talk about... Beskar. If you Again, love Beskar so much, how about you treat some metal droids nicer? Not exactly you know, clothing this mission in honor here. We're just like... The Mandalorians are struggling with the Nakedly threatening these mechanical life forms. They are sentient, let's be real. It's in not the, cool. It's not okay. But, but be that as it may, they do manage to get some information out of the bartender. The bartender offers that, and this is actually a wonderful moment mm-hmm. where we get to understand the kind of texture and fabric of this droid community. He says, listen, uh, the droid community here is just as concerned as, about mm-hmm. these incidents as anyone else. We have a lot of older models here that would have been decommissioned and, and scrapped anywhere else in the galaxy. But here they've found a place where they can still work and be of use. And if public opinion turns against droids because of all the things going on here, then they're going to be out of home mm-hmm. and probably potentially scrapped. And the bartender then says, you know, we, we want to help humans. Human life, uh, it says, quote, human life is so short, organics created us. It's the least we can do. And all the droids are like, yes! <laughs> don't kill us, please! Please don't kill us, don't you crazy man! Look how much we love humans! We love carrying yeah. their groceries! Don't, please don't, don't taser kill us! us. I want to cook for them. I want to chop up vegetables on a hot plate. I want to do it. Please don't let them <laughs> scrap us, Dinjar, and you can kick me in the in the thigh all you want. Um, so uh, they then, Bo and Din then uh, trace uh, the issue from this bar, you know, using this uh, uh, the information from this bartender to um, Tainted Nepenthe, which is this kind of droid lubricant that droids drink 
but it also acts as like a delivery system for like new code. Which is very cool, right? It's really, like, really cool. Basically, it reprograms them as they drink it. And the idea is to patch the software to keep them in this kind of and new reprogrammed state. And it's delectable. So somebody has tainted it and is reprogramming them for their own nefarious means. So they go to the droid morgue. R.I.P. to those droids. R.I.P. to the droids in the droid morgue. And Bo and Din go there and uh, they uh, have the kind of mortician uh, take some of the liquid that is in this uh, this uh, droid who has fell victim to whatever is in the Nepenthe. And it's, by the way, it is either a B2 that has malfunctioned or it's the one they just, they just recently killed. shot. <laughs> but be that as it may, uh, they then uh, analyze the analyze the, the the liquid, and there and Din is like, I wonder if this stuff, uh, you know, is still causing uh, droids to malfunction, and that is answered in the affirmative when the assistant droid in the room goes nuts and has to be chopped in half with the dark saber. Analysis of the liquid reveals that there's particles in there. These particles are nanodroids. And furthermore, there's writing on the nanodroids. And the writing is a chain code. And the chain code leads them to the information mm. that these particles were created years ago by the Techno Union, which is a, a, a an organization from back during the Clone Wars, pre-Clone Wars days, that was actually part of the separatist movement. Um, and it was like this union of all the kind of technological manufacturers throughout the uh, throughout the galaxy, and that someone ordered on Space Amazon this <laughs> uh, this these nanodroids. Not even the dark web; it was literally just Space Amazon. Space you can Amazon. trace it. They <laughs> yeah, find can. this stuff very quickly. His credit card is right there associated with it, and it's none <gasps> other than Commissioner Hellgate, the dun, dun, dun. commissioner of security, head of security himself. He ordered the nanodroids. He's behind all this. They go to confront him, and it turns out Commissioner's a separatist. He's an unreformed Dukuist. Mm -hmm. He's like, Dooku was a visionary. He's and I like, gotta say, look, from what we've seen in the recent anime, Dooku stuff, had a point. He he had he had some thoughts that I don't disagree with. I, I he obviously, in a way, and I'm saying this in a way that is completely different from Sagarera. He went too far. He did <laughs> he have did, a point. No, he did go too far. But it, but he, in that Tales of the Jedi, you know, we yeah. got to see that kind of disillusion that he felt and he's with both sides. He's about to, to like unpack the entire Dukuist ideology before <laughs> Bo just tranks him and is like, oh, politics. <laughs> She's sick of it. I don't want to get also, into look, it. I'm not saying, we know, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, yeah. Don't, you know, judge somebody by their name. That can be very problematic. This man's name was Hellgate. Yeah, I'm on. just saying. Like, could have just given him one extra look. He's in charge of the droids. He's got a very suspicious, narratively relevant name. Probably shouldn't have taken you long to get here. So we got the guy case closed. Head back to the royal party room where the Duchess is cheating at bocce ball with the help of Grogu. Grogu does she, does having she a great know? time. Does she know that Grogu is helping her cheat? I don't know. I mean, no one's, she's hitting shots that no you one has what? ever sh hit in this game. She is, I think, when you are that level of wealthy and powerful, people just say yes to you all the time and they kind of just let you do whatever you do and they go, oh, darling, you're winning and they move I They move the, the little hooks, you know, that you play the crochet with and all that kind of biz. The Ugnaughts relegated to the underworld, the way the droids are cheated, the fact that the Duchess is like openly cheating at a game and doesn't give a shit about mm -hmm. it. There's some red flags here, but I'm be that you, as it may, everybody seems happy. You know what though? Grogu, he's having a great time. Grogu the little loves baby, it here. loving it, playing, doing some flips, using the force, 
you know, the Duchess just wants to snuggle him constantly, and he seems very happy about that, too. He's just having a good time. So Bowen didn't deliver Commissioner Hellgate, and they're like, this is the guy. He did it all. The Duchess offers Hellgate the same compassion that the planet and its society has uh, showed her husband, Captain Bombardier, former former member of the dreaded empire. Um, and, you know, can the commissioner do the same? Can the commissioner forgive Captain Bombardier for his imperial past and the things that they've done? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> I, like, uh, maybe I'll get there. I'm an old day, man. I don't know. Day. And so they're like, okay, well, until you figure it out, you're exile in to exile. The moon. You're going to the moon. All right, humans, off yeah. you go. And live <laughs> on the moon. Bye-bye. Uh, so Bowen didn't uh, get there audience with uh, Axe Woves and they also get the key to Plus Your 15, it's which very is a over huge the top. key. It's huge. Huge key. Ridiculous. On the ride over, Bo is kind of worried because obviously her and Axe had this falling out and Axe and his people don't really respect her because she didn't win the Darksaber in the time-honored way. And Din says, listen, whatever you decide, I will support you, which is wonderful. They find the Mandalorians drinking uh, space coffee by their ships, just hanging out. Uh, I've come to reclaim my fleet, you know, uh, uh, Bo says. And uh, Axe is like, well, I like it. And I'm not giving it up. <laughs> then <laughs> I like, challenge Sorry. you, one warrior to another, and it's on like Alderaan. Great fight. Yeah. And Bo wins. Um, but that doesn't change the fact in Axe's eyes and the eyes of all the people that follow him that she can't lead because she doesn't wield the Darksaber. And then Din is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like Matlock. <laughs> like Columbo. One like more Columbo. Thing. Hold on. I have some information here that you might be interested in, legally speaking. Now, officially, I think you could argue that I am just holding the Darksaber for Bo because when I was on Mandalore exploring it for a very short period of time before I got mollywopped. <laughs> by a spider. By a spider or whatever it was. I lost the Darksaber. To the aforementioned spider. To the aforementioned spider guy. Bo saved my life, killed the spider. Therefore, by the transitive law of the Darksaber, which is otherwise the space addendum to Elderwand law, (laughs) is it not true that Bo is the rightful owner of the Darksaber? Axe Wolves, what say you? And Axe is like, you got me. He's like, you're right. (laughs) Because Bo, Din's like, did she not defeat the one who defeated me? And... It's true. And I would just like to say, we pointed this out on that very episode. And not only us, we had a listener who eight days ago, Brian emailed us and said he believed this would be the way things played out. And Brian was right. And we were right. Shouts to you, Brian. Shouts to you, Brian. Like Saw Gerrera, you You see the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So Bo has it, baby. The Darksaber's back. And thank God, honestly, because let's be real. Din was, that was like, he was not doing it. He, He needed more time. He did not know how to wield it. It was still very heavy Every, to him. He did not have the connection. And Bo was just looking light, fresh, like it was made for her. He was going to hurt his back every time he exactly. pulled that thing out. He might have killed the baby. It was looking bad. It was looking dangerous. This was the best option. And I also love that really, I think they just wanted Bo to be their leader. Because yeah. like it's very convoluted. Did, he, did she really win it in combat? I don't know if you could argue that, but she defeated. And they're just like, Cool. Okay. Sounds good. Hey, we got the fleet back. We got the old Imperial ships back. Um, This is a wonderful episode. 
it continues this show continues to look great uh, it feels like all of Disney's budget is going to this show. Every time I watch it, I'm like, it looks so much better. Whatever ILM is doing over there, please do that for those MCU movies that aren't connecting as well with people because these worlds feel so lived in. The fights are so brilliant. The creature work is so fantastic. We get so much of that fun stuff. The costuming, Even uh, the, the Duchess's outfit that's kind of this brilliant practical dress, but yeah. behind her is this kind of holographic flower. There's just so much fun I, to be had I with the visuals. I would love to know how the the foot race with the unfortunate uh, B2 Ooh. battle droid that then gets dishonorably gunned down from behind because that the movement was like really human-like. I wonder if it was mocap or what it was. It, it looked like a mix human of practical. And it made and, it hit even harder. It looked really, really, really cool. And I think this was like my favorite, by far, my favorite cold open of the season and maybe my oh, favorite cold open the in cold open all is of so the Mandalorian it, it starts seasons. off feeling like it's like it's, a mini story. It is, and it feels like it's going to be this kind of dry, bureaucratic yeah. Star Wars conversation, which we're so used to and we kind of r- rag on, but we also enjoy. But it actually was this beautiful, funny Romeo and Juliet story. And I want to read the inevitable, a certain point of view story yeah. about it. I want to read the novella that somebody is going to write about those two because you do believe that they will see each other again. And I love that also it does so much to establish where these Mandalorian mercenaries are at because she says, like, I thought you were honorable. Yeah. And she says, well, you know, we are for a few credits. (laughs) And it's like, and that's the real truth about where the Mandalorians are at now. What? uh, So we're, how many? uh, Two episodes left. Two episodes left. Feels like there's more Mandalorians to join the fold. Still time for us to see Sabine. Um, And then last episode, surely, is going to be the assault on Mandalore, yeah. maybe a two-parter. I think that my gut says you're back with uh, Rick Fumiawa, yeah. who was the who directed the opening, who's so great. Those are the last two episodes. I feel like this is going to be your big action story. You've had that John Favreau, Dave Filoni style serialized storytelling, lots of side quests, lots of bottle episodes. I love that kind of stuff. I think it's really fun. But I think people do want this big chunky two-parter that's going to reestablish yeah. where we find the Mandalorian. Question. After seeing what Axe and his people have been up to, it, it it's one can only assume, listen, Mandalorians need work too. <laughs> you know, when we first meet Din, he's a bounty hunter. Yeah. Like, this is what Mandalorians do, is they live by their blasters. And so it absolutely makes sense that they would go out across the galaxy, hired out as mercenaries, privateers, what have you, bodyguards, you know, what bounty hunters. It kind of does leave the door open then for some splinter group of Mandalorians to maybe have been hired to either capture Gideon or move him from somewhere. Or who follow Gideon. Or follow Gideon. Like, it could... I thought that that was an obvious frame up. Me and it, too. And it, it may be. I think, I, I think it probably guard, is. I think the best guard to me is too obvious. It's too but obvious. But they I could, think they you could... raise a good point. I think there's a large chance that there could be a splinter group who either follow Gideon, who have some kind of belief that he is still the rightful holder of the Darksaber, right. or who have want to punish him for his crimes. Because so much of this, the kind of emotional weight of this season, particularly with Bo, has been about no more Mandalorians fighting Mandalorians. This mm-hmm. is what And she us, says that today when she, she fights Axe. This is what led us to this place, you know, all the tragedies that happened during the Clone Wars. You know, Mandalorian society ripped apart. One side of 
of the debate living on the moon of Concordia, the rest of us trying to make a go of it on Mandalore, like that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like this has been so much about like, you know, bringing the tribe back together. But I do wonder if that means we're going to see Mandalorians fighting Mandalorians. I was going to say, imagine if the the power of like Gideon stepping off of a ship with yeah. like a, a new Death Watch like, or oh, something, no, you know, do? with the yeah. Mandalorians behind him. That would be huge. And also gives an option for those Mandalorians to still be welcomed into the fold and perhaps turn. So I, I think I am, I love the frame up. I think it feels like a frame up and I still stick by it, but I am 60-40 that there could be this spin-off kind of secondary splinter group of Mandalorians. It makes sense, like you said, with the themes. Also, I need to know, are these final two episodes going to be an hour long each? It feels like they need to be chunky. It feels like there's still a lot to kind of tie up here. And also to establish what we should expect to see from the future seasons that are inevitably coming. Uh, Well... A wonderful episode. Bryce Dallas Howard, once again, in her bag. Give her the trilogy. You want a new trilogy? Give it to Bryce. She's delivered at all times. One of our greatest Nepo babies. One of our most talented Nepo babies. One of our most talented Nepo babies. She's made the most of that Nepo power. Cannot argue with it. Up next, Nerd Out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory that you're excited to share, Peter ponders the poisoned planet rumors from both Andor and The Mandalorian. Uh, Peter writes, quote, I'm curious if the planet is poisoned rumors warnings on both Canari and Mandalore are inherent parallels or thematic empire propaganda. In both shows, characters make it on and off the planets without dying despite the threat. I haven't seen this addressed and can't decide if I'm overthinking this or if this is an overarching storyline. I think there's something to it. I love that. I think there's something to it. Think about it. We see these planets that have indigenous populations that are culturally connected to the planets whose planets are raided and then these rumors are spread about this idea of Oh, they're poisoned. You can't go back. You have to start again. That works for almost every level of imperial society. Not only does it eradicate an indigenous population and spread them out, but it also works. You need workers on Coruscant. You need workers in these places. You need to push people into the urban sprawl of the galaxy to keep the cities moving. I believe that this was not the last that we'll see. I hadn't actually thought about that, but as soon as Peter said it, I think that just makes so much sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also think it makes sense from a from a kind of an economic point of view. It's just mm-hmm. cheaper. Exactly. It's just cheaper. You, Of course, you could poison the entire planet. That would take a lot of radiation and a lot of bombs and a lot of, you know, chemical weapons if that's what you want to do. Or... You could just scare people. Everybody. You just tell everybody that it's poison. And the and fact that you de- had already attacked it, it yeah. looks terrible. It looks broken down. People don't live there. Those rumors spread and then people become scared to go back, like what happened with Mandalore. I like this idea. And it seems like something that a space empire, it just makes sense that you would do it this Especially way. we know that propaganda and branding is such a big part of the empire. Yeah. It makes sense that that would go down to economic policy too. I, I completely agree. Uh, Peter, absolutely great question. Great idea, great nerd out. If you have theories or passions you want to share, hit us up at x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. All right, that's it for us. Rosie, plugs, 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 plugs. Plugs. Um, you can read my work. Go to my website, rosieknight.com. It links to lots of my work at all different places. IGN, Den of Geek, Nerdist, 
Polygon, all those kind of cool places. I have a newsletter where I'm recommending cool books. It's called Rosie Recommends. You can find that on Substack. And obviously here, twice a week. Yeah, watch Primo, May 19th yes, on Amazon it's Freebie. Good. It's very good. From the mind of Mike Shore and four-time New York Times bestseller Shea Serrano. Primo, a heartwarming family single camera sitcom. Only on Amazon Freebie on May 19th. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision, Wednesday, April 12th, for more Yellow Jackets and Succession. And in case you somehow have forgotten, let us remind you, we are bringing you two episodes. Let's go. Two. And you can watch them twice a week on YouTube, where you can now see full episodes. Sometimes we're here, sometimes we're on Zoom. It's very cool. Never know what to expect. You can also follow us at XRVPod on Twitter. And check out our Discord where you can meet loads of cool people who love all the same stuff as us. And me and Jason are even in there sometimes. Five-star ratings. We need them. We got to have them. You got to send them to us. Here's one from Lars6654488. The best. The only downside is sometimes I laugh too much to keep doing my chores. Truly a great time every episode. (laughs) Sorry about that, Lars6654288. But thank you for sticking with us. thank (laughs) you. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Bye. Hey, Mike. Uh, this is Don from Marine. Yeah, uh, I just want to talk about the uh, the droids of Plaza 15 today, Mike. You know, listen, I get it. It's working for everybody. The system there is working for everybody. Uh, I had I had a uh, you know I have a timeshare in Plaza 15, and it's great. You know, I I play golf. I play space golf out there, and all, and all that stuff. I just want to say, Mike, I don't think the droids are being treated necessarily right. Over there, Mike, I, I I can't put my finger on it, but anytime I go to a place and all the work is being done by droids and all the the uh, uh, the kind of uh, maintenance work is being done by specifically Ugnaughts, you know, it just gives me a weird feeling, Mike, like I'm in somewhere else in the galaxy, like from long, long ago, where I sh- it shouldn't be like that anymore, Mike. I, again, I uh, the Duchess is a nice, I, she's a wonderful lady, and Captain Bombardier, former Imperial guy. You know, I don't like those, but uh, he seems by, uh, by uh, you know, everything I've seen to be a, a sweet guy. Uh, but it just rubs me the wrong way, Mike. I don't know, something about it, Mike. I, I, I'm hoping that uh, some of our galactic free press will look into it, Mike, because some something about it doesn't, uh, just rubs me the wrong way, Mike. I'll take my answer off the end. Thank you. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.